For the Bible tells us that wherever two or three are gathered, he is there. And he is here with us today as we are preparing our family time and our church and our hearts through worship, through listening to the word. Let's, let's take a moment and pray over the word and over the message. And what God might have to say to us tonight as we await his coming, as we celebrate this Christmas Eve with family and friends. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your son to be our savior. You sent your son as a babe in a manger to do your will, to take away the sin of the world, to make the sacrifice. He came as a sacrificial lamb. And as we're giving presents, we don't often think about that. We think of the, oh, he's a present, but yet that present came with a cost. And that present came with a responsibility. And help us look at your word tonight to see what you would have to say to us as we continue to prayer our hearts to worship you at Christmas and throughout the year, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Jesus is the true light of the world. I'd like to read for you John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, not anything was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him, that he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in the name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Amen. Over the last four Sundays, J.D., was preaching, has been preaching about some of the themes of Advent. He started out with a prophet's candle, candle which symbolizes hope. And the basis of that is from Matthew 1, 22 through 23. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then the second week of Advent, we talked about the Bethlehem candle, symbolizing faith. 
In Hebrews 11.6, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then the shepherd's candle, symbolizing joy. Nehemiah 8.10, He said that I'm go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send the portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved, for the, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And last week, the angel's candle symbolizing peace. Ephesians 2, 13 through 14. But now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility. Hope, faith, joy, peace. Four pillars, if you will, of the, the Advent season themes that we as Christians rest our hope on, our prayers on. And now we come to the final candle, the Christ candle, which symbolizes the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago. But yet Jesus didn't just come into existence 2,000 years ago, did he? He was with God long before that. Before the temple in Jerusalem was built, he was. Before Jerusalem even became a city, he was. Before Abraham, Isaac, or, Ab or Jacob, before Moses, before Noah, even before Adam and Eve, Jesus was. As we read in the passage, he was with God in the beginning. He was the word with God. He was the word that would speak creation into existence. He was with God in the beginning as revealed in Genesis 1, 26 through 27. And then God said on the seventh day, or sixth day, I should say, let us make man, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds and of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his image. And the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. He created you and I for a purpose. And yes, Jesus, the birth we celebrate at Christmas, he was there long before Mary gave birth to the baby in the stable. The prophets spoke about it, led by God. They foretold his coming birth. The heavens even declared his coming birth, as, as was read, as we see in Matthew 2, 1, 1 and 2 and 9 and 11. Now after the birth, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, King, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who was born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And then the king had a consult with the wise men and all, or 
all that, and then came back and said, after listening to the king, because he, he had told them to go to Bethlehem, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they say the, saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know the stories. But I think it's important to point out there, they rejoiced at the star, but they worshipped Jesus. Because even though as astrologers and faith, they had believed in the power of the stars, and that's why they had focused, they recognized they need, that there was a new king, a new savior come into the world. And that's why they worshipped him. They didn't worship the stars anymore. They worshipped Jesus. And for some 33 years, God, Emmanuel, which means God with us, he dwelt among us, he dwelt among the disciples, and he taught with power and authority about God and his kingdom. And even as he did that, though, yet he was hungry like us. He was cold, and yet he was hot too, like us. He mourned like many of us have mourned this past year. He was hurt, and he was rejected, and he was tempted. And all the things that we look back on this year and mourn about, he knew. He knew the pain and suffering he was experiencing, and he also knew the pain and suffering each one of us has experienced off over the last year. And he also knew the joy that comes from his Father. And in all that, the Bible tells us, he never sinned. From before he spoke the world into existence, he knew he had a mission. He had a job to do. He had his Father's will to follow. See, Jesus, when he was making the world, he knew Adam and Eve were going to sin. They were going to fall short of God's expectations. Just like he knew you and I would fall short of his expectations, fall short of the standard that God set. That's why he said it, because we can't get into heaven under our own strength and under our own will. We just, it isn't in us. We're not created to do that. There's a God-shaped hole in our hearts that longs for God, that longs for his power in our life. And God knew that. And God designed that. And that's why he sent his son to be our savior. God in his holiness cannot allow sin into heaven. But yet he wants us to be with him. So what to do? Well, he knew what to do because he designed it. It's not a surprise. It's not a plan B. It was his plan A all along, all along that he was going to send his son. And Jesus knew that knew that one day he would come as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, literally preparing to be that sacrificial life, 
sacrificial lamb from the moment of his birth. And Jesus would then teach about the need for a sacrificial lamb and that he would be that. And he taught about his father and his son. He taught about how there, would be, there is only one way to the father and that was through him. And how he came to be the light, to be the light of the world. You know, at Christmas time, we always have candles and we light our Christmas trees to show forth light. To show that even in the darkest time of year, light overcomes the darkness. The light, Jesus is God's light of love to the world. God's redeeming love. But the world didn't recognize it. See, often we don't want a Savior. We think we can do it on our own until eventually at some point in our life, God comes up and says, really, how's this working for you? How's it working for you? I know I was in college when God kind of hit me upside the head with a you know, spiritual two-by-four. I had been running from him. And God said, how's it working? And I had to sit down and confess to him at the moment it weren't working too well. That the, the God that I had told was a handy crutch was the God I needed in my life. And at that moment I accepted him and yet he came to his own people and they did not receive him. And how often don't we receive him even though we're called to? But at some point in our life he calls us, he puts that choice before us, he puts that hole in our heart and says, well, how's it working for you? And when we do, Jesus has made the way and asks us to follow that way because you see, Jesus followed his Father's will just as he asked us to follow his Father's will. For Jesus, that meant going to the cross. That meant, going, that meant after he was rejected by his own people and put on trial and was executed by crucifixion. And he knew that was going to happen and he willingly laid down his life for that. But the beautiful thing, we always look at Easter and, and we always look at the cross, but we forget. We forget the empty tomb on Easter morning. That when we look at the cradle, we need to remember the empty tomb. Because Jesus isn't in a grave today, is he? He's not in that manger. He's not in an empty tomb. He's in heaven because he broke the bounds of sin and death and rose again in power and victory. And that's what he has for us today. That over our sin, over our hurts, over our pains, Jesus is the victor. He was the perfect sacrifice lamb for our sins. And to all who would receive him, his finished work on the cross, to who believe in him, he gives the right to become children of God. His light, like these candles, shine in the darkness. And the darkness will not overcome his light. His light is for all. And amazingly, well, not amazingly enough, but Jesus, before he went back to his disciples, 
He commissioned them. And he, before he went back to heaven, sorry, I think I misspoke that. He said to his disciples, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, Jesus today, and even tomorrow morning, he's no longer in that manger, is he? He came once. You know, when we celebrate birthdays, we don't celebrate the babe anymore, do we? We celebrate the child. We celebrate the adult. Tomorrow when we celebrate, celebrate your risen king. Celebrate your Lord of Lords who isn't in a tomb, who is in heaven. And today Jesus is sitting. Where is he sitting? He's not sitting outside the tomb, is he? No, he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, preparing to return. But unlike his birth where he came as a baby in a manger, lowly and meek, swaddled as a sacrifice for our sins. No, he's preparing to come back as a rider on a white horse. In the book of Revelation, we read about when John was was taken up to heaven. And John reports, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful. And true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. The eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he is he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, which which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepresses of the fury and the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is coming back, not as a babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, no. No, as a Lord, mighty and strong. So what's our Lord ask of us? What what does he want us to do while we're waiting for him to come back? You know, the Pharisees, and and they asked him, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? You know, what do we need to do? Because they always thought thought about things in the law. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what's he calling us to do? Our King, our Lord, our Savior? He's calling us to love him, to listen to him, to pray to him, to spend time with him, to have a relationship, not just be here on Christmas Eve. Maybe you got uh, 
Maybe some family member drugged you here today. I know for me that used to happen at Christmas time. He wants a relationship with you today. Hear that. He wants, he wants you to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. To accept him as the savior that he wants to be. And then when we've done that, like the disciples, he wants us to go and share him. He wants us to be his witnesses today. He wants us to witness to our neighbors and to our community and to the world. And tonight as we continue in worship and reflect on this message, I'd ask, first of all, where are you with him? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you love him like he loves you? He wants you to. He wants to talk to you today and have that relationship. And then as we continue in worship, we're going to take the candles. After the first song, we're going to take the candles, and then we're going to light them. We're going to have a couple families come down, light them, and then share. And you're going to see the light spread. And the light's going to push back the darkness. As we do that, think about what he calls us to do. Think about how he wants you to be sharing in his work of pushing back the darkness of this world. I think we can all think back to this past year and how darkness has seemed very oppressive. And how that has maybe changed some of our lives. And I would challenge us as a body that as we light candles tonight and pass them and share that light, that we'd be encouraged that His light overcomes the darkness. His light in us overcomes the darkness in our families. His light can overcome the darkness in our neighborhoods. His light can overcome the darkness in our city, in our country, and in this world. And his light is the only light that can. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship, Lord, I pray that you would light a fire in each of us. A fire of your love that as we celebrate your birth, we'd see through your birth the cross and we'd see through that cross then the empty tomb and that you're in heaven. And you have a mission just like you had a mission for your son, you have a mission for us. To love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others in that same way. In Jesus' name, amen.